This all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio is brought to you by Wandering Monster. Uh, follow your path to adventure, tabletop gaming in the digital realm. If that sounds all very well put together, it is because I'm reading it directly from the website, wandering-monster.com, which you should totally check out yourself. So we've talked about like public and private sessions, but you know, one thing I don't think we've done a whole lot of is actually talk about the founder, Greg. I mean, I've mentioned him, you know, a friend of the show and personal friend and all around, you know, great guy. He used to, along with Ida, um, run the uh, building character segment on Geek in the City Radio. Hopefully we can have them back again sometime soon. He's just very busy with Wandering Monster, which is great. But a little bit, you know, about his backstory, he's not always just been just this cool DM. You know, he's got a background in theater and in acting, so he really brings that, you know, that that engagement to the gaming table that really pulls players in and helps you create fanciful worlds. Uh, he's been a teacher uh, back at Trackers. If you've always heard about, if you'd read about times where Trackers would run these really cool outdoor role-playing and LARP camps for kids... Uh, Greg ran most of those, so he's got one heck of a pedigree when it comes to telling tales of fancy and imagination to inspire children of all ages, and he brings all of that to you through Wandering Monsters. So check out the site, wandering-monster.com, uh, shop for your session, or contact him if you've got a family and you kind of want your private sessions. They will work with you to find the adventure that works for you. WanderingMonster.com. been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues a day into which we must delve. We're gonna talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert. We're going more factor 12. Thanks for pressing play. Why hello and I'll, why hello and welcome to issue six seventeen of Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I am one of your other hosts, Rita. And I am your other other host, Cable Hushtop. How's it going, everybody? What's shaking? What's shaking? Uh, the problem, whenever I hear that, my brain goes to the old old school opening of the show, which was always "What's shaking, Pone." So my brain mm. always goes there. Yeah. See and. And I am following, um, one of the people I'm following on Instagram is uh, a person with the last name of Bacon. And so her, her <laughs> shtick is she starts her videos with what's shaking bacon. Nice. I mean, you can't not. No, you can't. There's, like a, there's a rule. Someone wrote it down somewhere. Yep. <laughs> it's a weird rule. Why would you write it down? <sighs> what's yeah. in the show tonight? <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm good. I'm tired. I made large things in the in my garage today, and I finished up like after five. So I'm like ready. I was ready to rest. I'm like, no, you can't rest. You have a show to do. Yeah, I know. I feel that. And then I horfed down all that ramen, and now I'm all hot and flush. Mm. I'm fine. I have lined up all kinds of. I've lined up a couple nights of haunty goodness. For later this month. Yep. So. 
going to hit Milburn's on Sunday and then um, the following Saturday hit Scaregrounds PDX, which apparently has Grimthorn Manor, a Fright Town haunt. Really? Oh, interesting. Yep. Well, do you it's know? A, it's even branded that way. It says Grimthorn Manor, a Fright Town haunt. Interesting. Um, interesting. How much do you know about what that setup is like? Are they like... Is it like a franchisee kind of a thing, or is Dave involved? Dave sold everything. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he's um, not just like renting out the concept. Okay. Interesting. Um, I don't know what his involvement is. I haven't. I haven't had a chance to talk to him um, recently. So I know that he. I know, actually I, I know because of uh, Tom and Ed, uh, our guests from last week, that Dave was brokering a deal. Mm, okay. So I, I I think he was involved somehow. I know that one of the people that helped reassemble Grimthorn Manor is uh, James Sharinghausen, who is was a um, did a lot of the robotics and um, carpentry, and also worked on. Uh, he's he's a stage actor, so he also taught a lot of the actors how to perform. That's right. I remember that. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah (laughs) when when we were at uh our midnight the assassins game Mm -hmm. the voice that introduces that that's james sharinghausen i knew i recognized that voice (laughs) nice yeah i remember because i was doing many years ago i was doing a scene and he was like you know running the acting 101 and he had a walk he did a quick walk through like you know lights on walk through the haunt to see how his performance was and i didn't do what he suggested because I had a different feeling for the room I was in. Mm-hmm. So I did what I did. And he was like, yeah, forget whatever I said. That's fine. That's horrifying. Um, what's <laughs> wrong with you? He's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I've been doing it for a while. He's like, yeah, I can tell. You're broken. <laughs> You're great. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So uh, before we jump into stuff, we've got um, a really cool interview tonight with dire- uh, filmmaker Matt Smith who um, shot one of our favorite shorts at the Lovecraft Film Festival this year, The Altruist. Yeah. We'll be talking to him in probably about 20 minutes. Give awesome. Take. That was definitely not just our favorite, but the most talked about short of the fest. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. And the one that literally had a physical impact on an attendee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I shouldn't uh, laugh I was- at that. That's... You know, that, as, poor, as, that poor individual was not well. Yeah, I feel bad for him. But as listener Kevin had posted on his Instagram, he's like, been coming to Lovecraft for almost 15 years. First time I ever saw an ambulance called. Yep. I wonder uh, if I wonder if Matt Smith was aware of that. Uh, that no, Because I'm pretty sure he had a and a right after, but we had to miss it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe yeah. we'll ask him that. Well, I, I, I would like to ask him and see if he knew one. What is before we do that, that. Uh, we just watched a couple of horror trailers. Yeah. Uh, we watched a trailer for the new Scream, technically Scream 5, mm-hmm. and for Halloween Kills. Um, both of which I'm super excited for. I'm probably more jazzed for Halloween Kills, but that Scream trailer really piqued my interest. I'm certainly intrigued by it. Um Yeah. It's uh, like I enjoyed Scream when it first came out, and I I know I've wa- I think I've watched all of them. There's been four, right? There's been four plus the limited the show I think that was on MTV. 
the show I never watched. But I don't the, think still, I ever. The show was interesting, yeah. I know I, I watched didn't know one. that was a show. Uh, I know, like, I remember things like um, when watching um, Scream 2, I kept thinking, this guy, this, the villain for this, the, the guy who's playing Ghostface, he's going to go somewhere. He's going to be somebody like this guy has real screen presence. That was Timothy Oliphant. Oh, shit. It's just funny because Scream 2 is the one I remember the least. It's my least favorite. But oh, fuck, you're right. Yeah, that was nice. the, he was the one that I remembered from that movie. Like, wait, I think wait, it, hmm? he he's this he's Ghostface in which one? Scream two. Scream okay, two. I I remember that I saw the first three because they all came out like pretty regularly, and I was of like that age. It was you know like a teen horror film mm-hmm. franchise. So I remember watching all those. I didn't know about the show, and I I don't know when the fourth one came out, but I had no idea. So yeah, I have some I, homework to do. I don't remember three or four, so I, I think I'm in that same boat. Mm. Three was three was interesting at first because it played off the whole like on the third part, all bets are off, and it was Wes Craven. And in number three in Nightmare, she he killed um, Heather in Nightmare Three, which was a huge fucking shock to everyone because Heather survived. She was the final girl, and she doesn't survive Dream Warriors. Spoilers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really thought Sydney was going to die in part three. And, you know, he, she didn't, obviously, because she's in fucking part five. Um, but three was interesting. Three also had some odd comedy beats that, like, Jay and Silent Bob, I believe, are in Scream 3. What? Yes, they are. They are. Wow, not I Kevin Smith and Jason Hughes. Jay and Silent Bob, which is mm-hmm. why in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, there's an entire scene where they're doing another Scream movie. Carrie Fisher is also in Scream 3. She is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, But I remember enjoying Scream 3. I actually, you know, and I think about it, I haven't seen Scream 4. Um, but this one has me interested because it feels like it's acting like that soft reboot that horror movies do, but then they tantalize old school fans by bringing in OG cast members. So I feel like they're playing with that trope. I don't know how long it's been since the last Scream-related thing came out. Because like I said, I didn't see four or that show. Uh, but I recently watched Scream uh, here at home because Christian had never seen it. No, I good? Fine. If memory serves, it's pretty good. We should watch it. And it, mm-hmm. it holds up. It's, it's, you know, it's definitely pretty 90s, except yeah. for, uh, you, like, you notice that all of the actresses, their characters have, like, a different aesthetic vibe. Uh, and so I, I think there's like a little bit. They, 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 this is part of their commentary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, one of the friends has a very like '60s or '70s era, like, you know, look about her. Right. Um, but for the most part, it like it it feels like a '90s film. Um, and I remember thinking, like, that would be like really hard or weird to pull off now because a lot of people don't even keep a landline anymore. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how they. <clears throat> How they move that element forward. I don't believe I've seen number four. I haven't just, either. Just yeah. based on the cast list. But and it's that a, quite the the who's who. Yeah. I'd forgotten that, that Timothy just... Oliphant had been involved. And to your point about the landline and them playing with technology in that new screen trailer, I, I like the idea of like, oh, we have perfect digital homes now. And mm-hmm. you know, ghost face is like unlock, just lock, unlock. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like, no. And it's much like every good slasher, uh, horror will always find a way to circumvent that which makes you safe. Good horror. <laughs> yep. You know, you're never safe. That's the whole point. I do feel like that there's not just Halloween kills and with the scream, there's just kind of uh, revisiting old, old places again mm-hmm. and trying to do something new, which is always hard to do with horror. Yeah. Over my weekend, I watched uh, two horror movie remakes from 2009 that were Ooh, very... What were no, they? Friday the 13th. Oh. And My Bloody Valentine. I we were hating My Bloody Valentine. And the... Yeah. Look, they're, they're both passable, but they're yeah, not... Okay. I mean, they're just not scary. Yeah. Um... And the thing that's that I find most interesting about both of those is they both came out in 2009. Um, and Friday the 13th stars Jared Padalecki, My Bloody Valentine stars Jensen Eccles, right? So it was about five years into Supernatural when they both went, Hey, we should go do a movie, right. But you're right on both of them. They're just, they're fine. And if I feel like mm-hmm. if you're going to reboot, if you're going to do like a remake or a reboot of Friday the 13th. Or any horror movie. You have to really, like I saw the reboot, the fucking Michael Bay produced Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's most egregious foul. Oh man. Is that man. it's boring. It is. It was really boring. There's a lot of. It's like, every, it's like, well, this shouldn't shock me because it's Michael Bay produced, but it's like everyone thought the reason why they liked it is there were a lot of like booty shots. I'm like, that's just how Toby Hooper filmed it because no one had done that kind of shot before. Mm-hmm. And also, there's only one shot from that girl's butt as she walks up to the house mm-hmm. in the original one. And then that's it. But like fucking the remake, every time a woman's on screen, like that camera starts at her ass and then pans up I'm like, come on. That's cheap. It oh, yeah. cheap. And he, it was boring. It was he, just flat out boring. He was mm-hmm. the producer of the Friday the 13th one, and it was T and A all the way through. Yeah. Which, in in the defense of the Friday the 13th movies, that has always been kind okay. of a weird stalwart of that franchise, mm-hmm. is gratuitous nudity. If you were going to roll, if you were going to play into the tongue in cheek aspect, like Friday the 13th movies are incredibly violent. Mm-hmm. they're almost Looney Tunes in their violence. Like, how can Jason kill somebody next? Oh there, my was God. A lot of, there was a lot of Looney Tunes violence in this. Um, you just reminded me, Christian was watching a quote-unquote horror film um, just yesterday. I, blo- I want to say it was called Hell Baby. And the idea is that... Yeah, the idea is that this couple moves into this, like, decrepit house in New Orleans and they're like starting to fix it up because they're gonna live in it. She's the wife is pregnant. Um, and then she starts acting weird and like ultimately like it's it's because she's possessed or her babies are possessed, she's having twins, um, and like weird stuff is happening all the time, but it was actually a comedy. So like Rob Cordry is the lead. Mm-hmm. And it's all comedic actors. Uh, uh sure, not Jordan Peele, uh Keegan Michael Key. Mm-hmm. Is another like heavily uh, portrayed character, and so it's 
it wasn't like to the level of uh, like the scary movie franchise type right. of like parody of it, but it was like lots of gags. And one of them was um, naked woman. And this, she's not just topless. She's fully naked. You see everything. And then she just starts having a conversation with Rob Corddry's character. And it's like a 10 minute scene and she's just completely naked the whole time. And like, oiling herself up and doing a bunch of shimmying. Like, you don't well, have to it's... bend over to pick this up. Ooh. I mean, that's like the one thing that didn't happen. <laughs> hmm. um, and this is going to make me sound like an old snooty, fuddy-duddy film freak, which Cable will be like, I'm shocked. Um, those remakes also, I... The worst thing that happened to horror cinema was the thought that CGI blood would be easier and cheaper than in-house gore effects. And both of those remakes used the shit out of CGI blood. Yeah, they do. You could just tell. This doesn't fucking work at all. I think with uh, My Bloody Valentine, part of why they did that also dealt with the fact that it was a 3D movie. So it also came out during the the era of let's revisit 3d mm. right so all of the digital splatter effects on the camera have to be all the splatter effects have to be digital because you don't want to clean off the camera yeah and um, i guess it works better in 3d i will say there is one pseudo remake that i actually found really fun and it did not get enough credit it was the 2019 remake black christmas which was actually a remake of the twenty of the two thousand six, which was a remake of the original one from like nineteen seventy four, I think. That's a lot. That's that's an inception level. Is that the yeah. one with the college going. girls? Yes. Yeah. So the original, it's the same story. Like a, a murderer who has an issue with Christmas only kills on Christmas. Basically, the first one is again sexploitation horror. Mm-hmm. The the remake in the early two thousands, same thing, but with more low-key nudity and cgi or the 2019 one sets it up almost exactly and about a third of the way in you realize when all the sorority girls are like this has fucking happened before and we're not gonna fucking die this time and it becomes this weird reverse home alone where they begin to torment the guy in their house trying to kill them and i was like oh shit how come no one's talking about this movie it's ridiculous, but it's kind of great. Yeah. Probably for but the you're same right. reasons. It's, it's, the, it's the sorority house one. I mm-hmm. only just watched it like within the last year. I, I can't remember exactly when, but it has not been that long. I don't mm-hmm. remember people talking about it in 2019. Uh, and I also am not remembering them having a, a, a time in the movie where they're like, oh, this, is, this has happened before, but this time we're going mean, to... Probably uh, not. No, I'm probably remembering that incorrectly i just remember it was it it took the trope of the stupid sorority girls that are just there to be tits and meat to be killed Mm -hmm. and it was like well no (laughs) it's not gonna happen it's fascinating the the 2006 remake had michelle trachtenberg and mary elizabeth winstead yeah and the 2019 had um Imogene Poots, who I remember from 28 weeks later. Mm. 
The other girls don't look immediately familiar, but I'll bet there are other horror movies in their in their background. Huh. And there's apparently another there's a twenty twenty one um oh is there another one coming no that was last year no this year huh that's this year there's one scheduled for 2021 i don't know what this is it's apparently a a twist where it's fraternity rather than a sorority interesting Mm -hmm. um i wonder if it's going to be like the same timeline or a different like like at a later date because uh, one of the big things in in the 2019 version is the like the the uh, the assault situation mm-hmm. or like boys being creeps. I, I don't remember exactly to what level they they took it, but part of the backstory is you know like girls aren't safe uh, in in the college co-ed environments, and um, a lot a lot of like the like some of the character fears came from from that element. And then, you know, like sort of a taking it back. We may have to revisit this one in February. Um, because I, I think there are a couple of reasons why we didn't, we haven't heard more about this. Um, one, uh, Aaron, if it's got the, the theme that you're talking about, then it, it probably um, didn't get talked about the same way that Terminator Dark Fate didn't get talked about. Two, this... Because a girl directed it? Also, because it's written and directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, so that... All right. Actually, that could be a cool double feature for February. Terminator is not horror, but... I mean, it is in a way. Yep. I still haven't seen that one myself. Um, and now I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, I just want to make a Terminator month where, you know, watch one and another and another and another. Maybe skip one. Um, I know we didn't watch it just now but there is uh, another trailer that I think that we've all seen um, is and it also kind of falls in this realm of remake is Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City yes and longtime listeners know of Aaron's unabashed love for the entire Resident Evil series. I love that without a shred of fucking irony. Yes. Except the second one, which is absolutely awful. And that's saying a lot. It's garbage. It's Um, so bad. But I think what fascinates me most about um, Welcome to Raccoon City is that it looks to be from the trailers an adaptation of the video games directly and not a reboot of the movie franchise because that's it's very much the plot of resident evil one and resident evil two the video games yeah it looks like a mashup yeah you're right with because it has all the characters it has it has the redfields both chris mm-hmm. and claire it has um Leon Kennedy, it has uh, Jill Valentine. Jill Valentine. Both of whom are not white people. I'm good with that. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's got Wesker. It's got uh, Dr. Birkin. Um, yeah, it's, 
the daughter, I, the all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's the actual fall of Raccoon City. All of the monsters look like the monsters from the video game. It's like, oh, okay, I'm on board. I, uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's good. I'm that's November, right? Yes, November in theaters. So I will definitely be in the theater for that one without question. Um, and it's funny, even the trailer, you realize that they said it in the late 90s. They said it in 1998, which is mm-hmm. when it, the game takes place. Even knowing that, I was not ready for the four non-blondes kind of pseudo trailer music remix. I just was not ready for it. Um, like for the first 10 seconds, I was like, really? Even knowing the era, I was like, really? Fucking come on. I mean, but then five minutes after that, I was like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, because it works. It's funny. The rest of the movie doesn't look funny. It looks terrifying. It does. And it has an ML. Which one? Robbie. Robbie ML is playing Chris Redfield. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're definitely taking the angle of uh, playing up Claire Redfield's um, chasing conspiracy theories. Which I like. Um, yep. And going Which is after- part of uh, her background from Resident Evil Code Veronica. Mm-hmm. Because no one believes her. Nobody. Nobody. Uh, looks like we're about to have our guest join us. Awesome. Yay. Hello. Is it, is it all working? It's good. Sorry for any uh, link confusion there. No, no, no worries. My cut and paste skills are slowly deteriorating over time. <laughs> Before we have our conversation with filmmaker Matt Smith, this is a perfect time to tell you about our sponsors. First up, Guardian Games. They are one of the city's greatest game stores, perhaps even the country's. Find them over at 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They're super easy to get to by transit, by bike, by car, by walking. They're uh, right in the central east side industrial district. Super easy to get to. Um, and when you're there, like, of course they have all the games and whatnot, but when you go to check out, you may see like these really cool, like, you know, gamer and kind of nerd focused, uh, pins and buttons and stuff. That's actually a, a Portland based company they have teamed up with called Badge Bomb, um, who are committed to, uh, promoting, uh, equality for all and environmentalism and mental health while still being, you know, extra dorky. Cause you know, it doesn't mean, you know. You can try to, you know, fix things and still be kind of a nerd about it. In fact, that's probably more fun to do it anyway. So it's just a reminder that, like, they don't just, you know, carry games and gaming supplies. They also work with, you know, local creators to give them a place to showcase their work that maybe, you know, would get lost in another type of store or maybe a big box store. Um, but at Guardian Games, you know, that's a, that's an audience that will totally understand what these stickers and buttons mean. And we'll have some fun wearing them. You know, put it on your bag of holding, put it on your jacket, put it on a lanyard, doesn't matter what you want to do. Fun buttons and stickers and pins and whatnot is just yet another element that makes Guardian Games one of the greatest game stores in the world. And when you're in there, thank them for being a longtime sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. Just like Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Um, a little bit of toot my own horn a bit. There was an announcement last weekend at New York City Comic Con uh, where I will be having a book coming out from the Chispa imprint of Scout Comics. And when that day comes, 
You should go to British City Comics to pick up that book. It's a long ways off. Don't go in there like this weekend. Be like, you go to your new book. Like, don't do that. Um, it's gonna be a long time. But uh, yeah, check them out. They are one of the greatest comic book shops in the city. Thirty-seven twenty-five North Mississippi Avenue. And good news, Saga is coming back with issue fifty-five. They've been away for a couple years now, but Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn are back. Uh, to resume the tale of, you know, to, to resume Saga. And if you don't want to miss out, because that's going to be a huge launching, get yourself to Bridge City Comics, open up a subscription box, and just ask them to add Saga to your pull list. That way you don't miss out on anything. And, um, yeah, when you do all that, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio, which we are returning to right now with our interview with filmmaker Matt Smith. Uh, so, everyone, as we talk about the opening of the show, we are now joined by local filmmaker Matt Smith, uh, with whom we saw one of his films, one of his shorts, debuted uh, two weekends ago now at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, The Altruist. The Altruist. Mm-hmm. And um, left one hell of an impact on all of us. So we were like, we have to talk to this person. <laughs> so, Matt, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be um, here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So... Uh, yeah, so you're a local filmmaker? Uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, grew up in Portland. Um, uh, left for college, came back. So been here now for, what, 15 years or so. Nice. Oh, nice. Cool. 19 years. Hmm? Okay. The reason I'm uh, stopping on that is because you did uh, provide us with links to two of your films. And uh, just doing some quick mental math, I believe that that other film is about 20 years old now? Yeah, that was then around, that was like 2000. I think we shot it 2000, sort of came out 2002, 2003. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So then that just made me wonder if you made it here or you made it when you were away at school. Uh, no, we shot it. We shot it. I had graduated by that point. We were uh, in, I was living in LA. We came up here to shoot. We actually shot that one. That was the, the provider was shot up in uh, uh, on Lopez Island up in the San Juans. Mm. Oh, okay. So, you know, go away, come back. Usually come back here to shoot. Like the provider, I mean, the altruist, for instance, was shot in my mom's basement so you know you do what you can with what you have it's a good space for it yeah 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 it's very very spooky um okay well why don't we start by uh you giving the audience a quick outline of what the altruist is uh in what sense narratively i mean or just sort of like uh like uh like what i think it is about or yes if you wanted to like start with like uh, the elevator pitch or like you know like a like a brief outline of like what the trailer would be for, for uh, this okay, film. So it's, it's... yeah sure it's uh, like a um i would i would say it's uh in a, in a, it, 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 it's an exploration of a space uh we 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 follow a man around in a space and wonder what the hell he's doing um we see lots of elements of, of body horror in terms of like, you know, lots of fecal materials spewing all over the place and, 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 and lots of caregiving going on. And we're still sort of left, you know, asking a lot of questions about what is going on, um, which is essentially how the film was, was conceived. It was, was a, a series of sort of orthogonal movements trying to guide the audience through a piece of space and sort of narrative that isn't exactly predictable. 
um, and you know, trying trying to move them into a comfort zone and then make them uncomfortable, move them into a comfort zone and make them uncomfortable. And ultimately, this man, this character that we're following around, who is associating with another character who is is we're led to believe is some sort of an invalid, um, and that is he is the caretaker for this invalid. Uh, it comes to a point in which their relationship fundamentally alters, um, and he is then forced to make a, a choice in terms of like what he is willing to do uh, in order to per- perpetuate what he's supposed to do um, without giving away too much. I don't know if anybody's going to watch this or not, but I mean, without giving away too much, that's essentially what the film is about. We, we have very much been talking about uh, the short uh, sense, both on the show and in discussions with other people. So we've have been encouraging yeah. people to go seek it out and, and watch it. Uh, like we were telling all of our listeners to definitely tune into the uh, the did the, the um the, the fest at home yeah streaming version right and they have another it's 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 through tonight i believe so like you know you can still you can oh. still get the i think i think tonight is the the last night of the streaming part of of, of lovecraft good tonight it is yeah yeah i didn't know um, that went for so long but it, like so we have been going oh yes please please watch this so that we can all continue <laughs> to talk about it i think it is I would argue that it is easily the most talked about um, short of the entire festival. Oh, really? That's uh, great. Because it just, it if, like, we we spent the rest of the weekend talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, we, we commented on the fact, it's like, that was, that was interesting. It was an interesting schedule choice because it came, that was the movie right before we went for dinner break. On Saturday. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Which, I, which I'm sure the, the organizers did on purpose. They had to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. As far as I remember, everybody went to sushi. So I think mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, and it just composition with like what they're eating. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we had Korean fried chicken. So it was oh, equally juicy and crunchy and mm-hmm. covered in sauces. So mm-hmm. excellent. Mm. <laughs> but um, I think one of the, the things for me that it was amazing that the title alone helped build the horror, like the just being called the altruist mm-hmm. and, and knowing what altruism means and then having it associated with the acts that are going on screen. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I thought I was a good person. This is different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely le- leaves you with the sense that you're really only getting like a, a tiny piece of an overall story. And then when you link that into um, to also watching The Provider, your earlier film, uh, then you get this like really big, like same universe vibe. Like they, th- those two, those two stories felt not maybe not directly connected, but that they are, they're happening in the same space time element. Um, where where things are just the same kind of not right, right? And I think that's I mean that that's part of like the way that I think that I go about when I'm conceiving of projects like that is is it, it this universe is definitely the the pool into which I'm dipping back again mm-hmm. and again in terms of like the scripts that are right and the ideas that that interest me. Um, and I mean, trust me, I'm, I, I mean, I love I love all all types of of movies and narratives. It's it's you know they're I grew up on them and I consume them like crazy. Uh, it's just that I tend not to be the one that focuses on like, you know, the, the love story. It's, it's just not the, it's just not my go-to mm-hmm. um, for these. I think, that, I think it's always interesting to me is to like, you know, uh, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, 
uh, is this an expletive? You can uh, say whatever you want. I mean, uh, I, I, I tend to like to fuck up a little bit with the fuck up the, the the universe just a little bit to 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 make sure that the audience is offbeat because my 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 most memorable theater experience or, or uh, uh, cinema experiences are always those ones in which I'm like, what? What just what that? What? what the hell did they just do? Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, and when you find those moments, those those those, those little, little those little bright bright moments, they 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 tend to sit with you, and they and they tend to and then they tend to they tend to expand, and they, and and they lead to other other places. And those those are the things that I really um, I appreciate about about especially about genres and about, about stuff that that most people aren't going to do. So in this universe, you're right. I mean, the universe of the provider and the universe of the altruists are are a lot like. I think I, I talked about it at the festival, which is like, okay, we let's dial back time and, and set it uh, set it forward again. See what we see what we get. Mm-hmm. Um, see how close we get. I mean, we might get really close. Uh, it might look like us, but that space that where they where where they're inhabiting, I always envisioned it as a space that is an ecosystem into in and of itself. So, and these are simply two species that are interacting in that space, and we don't see the multitude that come in and out of that space and doing whatever they need to do to maintain that building, that space the city, the, the, the whole ecosystem where these, these creatures live and, and reproduce and die. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, like I said, that's, that's the pool uh, to which I keep going back. What, what draws you to, and, and tell me if I'm completely off base on this, what, what draws you to creating these films that on one end are absolute acts of like selfless love being confronted with like just utter horror and 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 depravity of what happened what can happen to humans there was a moment in the provider and both in the altruist where i myself personally you know ha- had memories of being around and caring for a loved one um who was dying of of, of dementia and alzheimer's and you absolutely adore this person um but what their own body has done to them is absolutely grotesque and completely unfair if there were any form of caring higher power out there should not allow that but you still try to find the beauty and dignity within what little they have left is that something that calls to you or what why would you it's it's certainly been my experience so like when the when especially with the altruists uh my dad died in, in 2016 and and his final years were not what i would say was the best quality of life and mm-hmm. uh and so the care um and the care for a parent especially i think uh you know somebody who's very close to you and who has cared for you in much the same way um ends up being a very potent very potent force but the degradation of the body you know we we talk about body four but the degradation of the body is an inevitable kind of process and i do find I mean, there's something I'm working on right now, which is essentially that same, in, 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 along the same lines in terms of like, we're, we're born in, into, this, into this space and we're damn lucky that we can walk around and we can think and we can do whatever we want because mm-hmm. it is, it is an, a second between me being able to communicate with you and me having, you know, my kids tend to me um you know a vessel bursts or you know the the whatever happens you know i walk across the street the wrong way um so the the tenuousness of the integrity of the body i think is something that 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 draws 
me to also the other, the, the antithesis of that, which is how we get used. We get, we get used to how that body degrades. You know, mm-hmm. we, we do, we, we care for the people that we love and we, what we would normally consider like indignities beyond, you know, the things that we would never have thought that we would do, we will do, you know, right. I will hold, I will hold the container for my dad's penis. You know, I will, I will, I will, I will wipe, you know, his butt. I will, I will carry a, a body that's 90 pounds. You know, it's like, it's, it's, you do it and you you're like it's it's things that you never thought um but it's also i mean it's it reinforces my sense of like the what we have and you know and and then the preciousness of like waking up and seeing my kids and giving them cheerios you know right <laughs> that uh knowing that that's part of your background that came across in your performance in the altruist 100 mm-hmm. percent Thank you. I mean, you know, that's, you know, like right upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. I have, um, I have a fairly strong aversion to um, not, not body horror, but definitely if something comes out of your body, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> um, I can't, I have to leave the room if my cat is about to hairball. Um, no, it's just, um, and, and watching uh, the the altruists especially was I'd never been so repelled and and simultaneously compelled at the same time in that way and uh, I think that that sort of speaks to like the like the truthful like, humanity aspect of of this this story that you're telling is the thing the things that you can't deal with or never imagine yourself having to or being willing to it's just that's just what we do for each other. It is. Um, one other aspect I do want to, I want to make attention to for anybody who is contemplating looking at this. I also think there's a lot of it that's funny. So it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. just, you know, you know, all of like, Oh my God, you know, degradation and horror and body, uh, you know, the, you know, bad body associations. Um, I, there, there are parts of it that I very tongue in cheek and, and, and that I, I still go back. And I'm like, what, what were you thinking? You know, it's like, oh my God. Um, but there is, there's, but that, that's, that's also part of an entertainment because regardless of whether, you know, I consider this art or, you know, just, you know, fluff or whatever it is, it's supposed to be entertaining and it's supposed to have some elements that are, you know, grip people, throw them off balance and ultimately, you know, leave them hopefully somewhat amused, entertain, uh, you know, just engaged. Um, well, and, um, go ahead. <laughs> No, you. I would say, um, even though she has very little movement in the in in the film as a whole, like um, the other performer, Elizabeth Jackson, like really, she's she's busting her butt in that film, like to pull off mm-hmm. a whole string of emotions, especially for the most part. She says one word, uh, not the just whole the time. Part, in fact, entirely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she runs the gamut of emotions in that film and, yeah and, and you're right some of them are quite actually humorous in a dark way mm-hmm. yeah she's uh she she was amazing um you know she she uh, she's, she's also my partner uh but she, but she was so i mean you can take it with a grain of salt if you want but she, I, <laughs> I i i find i find the the stuff that she did in that in 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 the film really quite astonishing um, and a lot of it was sort of found in, in the sense of like, we would, we would go through, uh, a scene and there would be times in which 
you know, she's going, Daniel, 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 Daniel. And it's like, we would just keep going and keep going and keep going until, you know, you reach an emotional breaking point in which you know, stop, can't do it. Um, but yeah, she, she brought, she brought a, a great deal of integrity and a great deal of, I mean, just, you know, potent emotional, uh, you know, acumen to it. And, I, and, and it was an extraordinary experience to work with. Her. Um, she, uh, she's also, I mean, you know, we would go back again and again and again in terms of the variation you're talking about. I mean, we would go over it again and again and again and again, you know, in, in ADR as well as uh, just in the, in the, in the primary, in, in the primary shoot, um, <laughs> which you got to understand she's, she's wrapped into that thing. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure we'll get to that later, but yeah, that's uh... <laughs> kind of a prop. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And everything, um, everything in the altruist is practical effects, correct? Correct. Yeah. Really impressive. Uh, but going back to um, your uh, Elizabeth's performance, I just want to let you finish. Oh yeah, no, I was just going to say that, that she put she put uh, just an, an immense amount of work into that one word um, because it, it ran the gamut, and because you have to. You, with by limiting it to that that sim, that that one that one word is that then you have to then have an entirely uh, formed performance from it. You can't simply you know you know can't just repeat it. It has to have there has to be an arc and a story arc for this for this character that is is embodied by or is is vocalized. Well, um, and even and even physically, she has limited range of motion of what she's allowed to do. It's her face and her hands. The the other part of her up until a certain point, but in those scenes where she's calling out Daniel, 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 it just kind of moves on its own, which is very otherworldly and upsetting. And that really drives home the part, the, the whole concept of like, this is not normal. And it wasn't normal when you first walk in and you see all this, but that it's only that upper body and her, her face that is allowed to emote. She can't use the rest of her body to convey any kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. is really impressive yeah i know and again she 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 brought uh you know she brought that she brought something on the page to a, a level that i that i really i was not expecting um you know i did i hadn't you know i didn't i didn't know her when i wrote it uh and when we shot it i was like that it's far more than i ever i ever imagined um mm-hmm. for anybody out there hire her because she is an <laughs> astonishing actor yes for sure yes um, well, coming back to effects, um, yeah. I said it seemed like well, there was there was one part where I was like, "There's no way this is practical because it's so elaborate." But you know, then your credits indicate that there are puppeteers. You had four puppeteers for your your main effect. Yeah, I mean, so the, for the main for the main uh, for the main effect, that was uh, there were there were. The two there were uh, we found Josh and Brandon uh, were uh, these two effects guys uh, uh, that worked for my producer on another project, um, and they just wanted to do it for experience. They just were like, "Great, we just want to give me the money, and you know, give us give us some give us some materials, and we'll and we'll do it." Huh. 
Um, Lance Woolen, who is a local puppeteer uh, in Portland, um, used to work for Leica, and I think he's off, you know, he's on his own now, but he's a, an astonishing puppeteer, uh, really just like great. He came up with all the armature and, and, the, and the ways to move the thing in a way that was realistic. And then we had Aaron, who was also uh, a, um, who was the, the close puppeteer for the, for the close-ups of the, of the creature. So we had sort of like a three, you know, a three-part uh, step for that. And they also, they also work for the arm as well. Um, but they, they were, it was, they put in a huge amount of work. I mean, for, for the money that, that we had for an effects budget. Uh, I, yeah. Again, if you want practical effects, go to these guys, because they are uh, an amazing artist. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. That this works well as a business card for them as well as you. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the, the, one of the things that we talked about at the fest was that there seem to be two kinds of approaches in body horror or in horror in general. Um, you either do things in heavy shadow and you just get glimpses of things and you never get to look at it head on, but through sound and through into um, intimation, you just get a little grossed out. And then there's the horror that goes, Oh no, we we have enough faith in our practical effects that we're just going to shine a light directly on this. And that was the route you took. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no pulling the camera away on this one. <laughs> no, and I mean, and, and that's part of the. I think the fun of it, you know, is 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 like when you when you like like when you when you're like, is that is that is that CG or is like you know it's like <laughs> you know it's like the, those are those are again those, those moments that you're like wait what and and you're mm-hmm. and then you realize that oh no it's no it's 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 a, that's 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 they're just doing it um I find again I love CG again it's like I, I don't I don't I don't issue it at all I think it's it's a, a tool it's right. a, it is a fantastic tool it can be overused um and it can be also used you know precisely and and I think I think the more the more precise you use any tool uh the better the product is going to be with the practical effects i you know i just like i mean i like puppets uh and they they if they can work well if you can shoot it in a way that that really accentuates the puppet and allows the puppet to be expressive then it's amazing because there is really no substitute i think for like on set acting and essentially what, what we did is that we wrote out for the we for that part where i just wrote out an entire you know creature inner monologue and i was like this is what we're trying to convey over the course of this interaction with these characters and and aaron took that and you know studied it and came up with how she was going to move and manipulate and, and make that piece of silicone emote and it was again it was also like whoa didn't expect it and it came across beautifully it really did it's it it, that that element is is like a character of its own yeah and 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 as close as that cg artists are they're they're amazing and they can they can do a whole lot of stuff but it's like sometimes it's like it's like you know the uncanny valley uh there are times in which you 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 buy it because you're willing to buy it. And there, then, are, then there are times in which it really works. Um, and I think the times that, that, they, that, that the CG guys get it right is like those times that you forget. Um, and I love it, but with the practical effects, you, you can get, like I look at the arm scene, for instance, and I'm like, mm, well, mm, okay. Um, I wish the seam could have been eliminated with some digital effects, but uh, you, know, you do what you can when you have a, like a $30,000 budget. Um, but that scene though plays very well 
uh, and, and huge props to like the sound design yeah on the on the hand scene i mean the the visual effects were great and your performance was great um but it's that sound man that really just sends it home um yeah that was Corey Corey crawford another another local Portland and, sound designer and then also i don't know if you're aware of this but that scene uh i do believe elicited the first ever ambulance response to the lovecraft film festival what? No way, what? Oh, so no one told you this? No. Oh. So, and we'll get back to not to derail too much. So the three of us kind of sit in the back a little bit to just kind of take in the films and whatnot. And there was someone who had stood up and was kind of standing by the door eating their popcorn. And I think it's because they needed to stand or whatever. But during that scene, we kind of heard them make like a cough and they turned to to leave the theater like something was wrong very quickly very quickly and they collapsed and opened to the back the the left side doors of the theater and oh had God. to be pulled out and given air and the organizers called an ambulance and the paramedics were like are you okay and i overheard a little bit he's like i, I just i didn't realize i was getting lightheaded and i just wasn't ready for this whoa he, he felt really that. bad he felt so he, bad but a couple of our did, friends were yeah yeah he stood up um mid-arm scene and yeah, made okay. his way towards the the back door um, and i think he he went down as he was going through the door as such that the door the was like being held open yep. <laughs> oh my God. gwen happened Not to make to be, you feel bad yeah. it was no, they, no, they no. took care of it yeah. he was fine he was fine within like 20 minutes but they still you know, for safety's sake, hired paramedic paramedics to check on him. And mm-hmm. yeah, Gwen happened to be standing right next to that exit, so she was right there and yeah. was the one that helped him out to the lobby. And and uh, another volunteer got right there with her. So, but there were there were more than a few Instagram and Twitter posts of people saying like, "Well, it finally happened. The Lovecraft <laughs> Film Festival had to call an ambulance. This filmmaker needs to be very proud of himself." <laughs> oh my god, I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I, I hope I hope whoever that is, if you are watching, I'm sorry, but you know, kind of like maybe worthwhile. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's truly a, a testament of how how much this movie can affect you. Like, even if yeah. you're told it's like, yeah, it, it had this effect, that's still not going to prepare. I don't. No one, no one in that theater was prepared for that. Like, you could feel it in the rest of the audience. The, like the, there was almost like a collective feeling of like, yeah, no, we're that guy that just fainted. That we're all right there with it. <laughs> the the overall word that I had, like the after directly after watching the film, was like, it is relentless. It just it, things just keep going long after. Like, okay, I understand what this is. I I get where we're going. Let's move on to the next thing. And nope, we're still here. We're still we're still watching it happen, even though the point has been made. But you didn't shoot it to make a point and then move on. You shot it to to give a feeling, to mm-hmm. to convey, you know, just like a certain sense of of things, not just hit the highlights and like an outline, even though it is a short film. It is a short film, and 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 it this one is is a long film. It has you know there have been a lot of festivals that have been like we love it, we just can't program it. Um, and I understand the limitations of of a thirty five minute film because you're you're saying essentially well we're going to 
privilege this over four or even five or six um, shorter films. And I understand that, but uh, yeah, to your point though, it, it, I don't, I don't, it's not like a, you know, it's not like a tight 10 you know, in terms of like a comedy set. Um, it, it could be, I mean, you could do that. You could do that with almost any, any narrative. You can go bump, 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 bump. Sure. Because you know, humans get the point, but mm-hmm. part of, I also think part of sometimes part of life is just inhabiting the space and, 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 and setting there. Um, and listening and 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 trying to get a sense of uh, sort of like the the greater the great the greater sense of like what is what is around you um mm-hmm. and we have shorthand in cinema all the time which is fantastic we can you know we can get from this universe to another universe to another universe you know in in, in, in a cinematic language that we have developed over the last hundred years but sometimes i think just inhabiting a space can be as dark and as rich and um, and as fulfilling in terms of an entertainment um, than than simply stepping from stone to stone to stone across the stream. You know, sometimes it's good to just get wet. Uh, it's definitely like what part of what I appreciate about the movie, um, even though it makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's an again. I'm, like I said, I'm working on something now that I'm trying to figure out where the limits of that are. So, like, you know, is so seven minutes of a makeup scene. It's a long. It's a long. It's a long one. I understand that. Um, but when we get into like the sort of like the more clinical sort of uh, body horror stuff, like how, if you're in a process, and, and, and sometimes I, I call these like process ones. Like if you're in a, if you're in a situation in which you're examining a process and of, of deconstructing a body, so like how particular can you make it? How how long can you extend it? Um, and and I think the 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 way that if if there was something that I fault myself on in terms of this film was it it was shot in such a way that it was very hard to give myself the space to condense it. Um, I liked, I wanted it this, this length, uh, at the same time, I didn't have the choice to cut it because of the way we shot it. So I couldn't, there, there's like, you're, you either have like makeup and then your full makeup, um, for instance, uh, and you cut, you cut that seven minutes or you, you have to extend it out. Um, and what I'm working on now is, is again, a deconstruction of a body. How, how particular can we make it and how long, how long can that go on? how gruesome can it be before people are like, okay, we really can't do this anymore. How, you know, how many people are really falling out the door? But, <laughs> but what's also a great like juxtaposition is that, is that when you kind of have that final reveal towards the end of the full, the full body mm-hmm. um, of his partner, it becomes oddly comical yeah. in a dark way in that anyone, I don't want to get too much away, but anyone who has tried to give medicine to their pet is going <laughs> to, in the face of this horror is going to go, yeah, yeah, no, no, just take your medicine, just take it, damn it. Like mm-hmm. they're going to identify like that with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and again, that was, that was essentially that if you go back and you read the, the like the, 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 the creature's inner monologue at that point, uh, that's pretty much what it's all about. It's like the, from the pet's point of view, it's like, oh, what the fuck is this? But no, no, what, what? oh, that's nasty. Get that, you know, get it, get it. Yeah. And it is. Come on. And, and, and you can see, like, I had, I had people when they were initially, when we were first cutting through, when we were, had an initial cut uh, at a friend of mine, he was like, you got to get a different cut of you because you're almost smiling. And it's like, it's true because it's like, there are some takes in which I'm like, what? <laughs> but I don't know on? if I, I don't know if I agree with that person. I think, 
that that smile is so universal in no matter how much horror a person has endured, there's still a part of it that's going to kind of hit that part of your brain that goes, like everything's horrible and gross and grotesque, but you know, this is kind of, <laughs> you know, and that was, and that was my point to, to Charlie. It was like, you know, that's the point where he's, what else has he got? You know, at that point, yeah, yeah. it's like, I, 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 this is where I am man. I, I'm just, I'm just going to try to get through this. Yeah, it definitely uh, sells about... that. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Cable. I no, was go just going to say that that also sells the the feeling that this is not this is not new. This is this has been going on for a while, and there right. is um, the level of familiarity with this particular condition. And uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I imagine yeah, it, I imagine it, that it took years potentially to get to to the state that we're seeing right now. It, right, right yeah exactly and there's this there's like you know myriad out there of these creatures perhaps or like again there's like what i was trying to get to also is like there is also a sense of finality in the sense that that are we at the end of these the, these respective species are we are we are they part of a you know a uh a relationship that that has no has no future is is this reproductive imperative uh at its 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 conclusion and are we the end of a species i don't you know there's something about that space that's very depressing well to me personally because it's where i grew up but the uh also (laughs) just uh in in terms of like the 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 closeness of it and the the decrepitude of it uh, these people living out their lives there um that i always i always imagined i wish we had had the budget to add the elements that i wanted which were like the, the the hints of of the the life that had been lived there whether it's mm. the carcasses mm. of other creatures before it um whether it's you know remnants of his species whether it's remnants of other species but there's you know the life outside of it um would have been interesting to be able to do but the uh, i think i lost my thread here but the the point being that <laughs> but uh that that there is there is in this space a sense of finality mm. um which is what i would part of what we were going for well, what do you say there actually brings up a, a question from our from our listeners in the chat. Uh, our friend Norman in Texas says he has a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have heard a movie is made three times, once with a script, once on set, and once in the editor's room. Uh, what was something from all three, three phases of the movie that you wish you'd made it into the final product? Or if there were? <laughs> well, I wish uh, uh, in the script. That's an interesting one. Um Yeah, yeah. You, you make it. You make it. Okay, I'll, t- I'll take that as a premise. So make it three times. The script um, that came out pretty pretty easily, um, and it didn't change a whole lot. So I mean, in terms of making that movie as it's written on the screen, you can read that, and you'll see it pretty much. It comes out. It streams out pretty much as it's written on the page. The differences are uh, that I had more dialogue uh, that was terrible and so i cut that i was like you look really stupid and you're terrible so goodbye um then so it, so that we cut it down from me being me being a more you know talkative at the beginning and at the end to simply trying to concentrate it onto the uh onto the relationship immediately immediately in you know next next to uh both characters um on set that is 
I think, where, I mean, editing happens and, and there's lots of editing tricks and things that, that, that do change things. But on the set is where we found most of, I think, what is interesting about this film is that because the set gives you that, that, that immediacy of the moment to say, oh, right, that, that is what I want, you know, or, oh, that's, what was I thinking, you know? Um, but those moments happen, you know, day by day, hour by hour, um, you know, where when the whole Daniel, Daniel, Daniel thing with uh, Liz is in the script, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until you know on set and and Liz was was going through it and prepping it and that I was like oh right that's exactly what we need you know we we had been talking about camera moves and this and that and then and then watching Liz and working with Liz on set in that moment was the way of saying that's the that's the thing in the editing uh, with a with a, I, I think it's I think. I think it's true. I mean, yeah, you do, you do get a third film. Um, mm. And in this particular case, uh, just because of the constraints of the budget and the constraints of like what we had, and there wasn't a whole lot in terms of what we could do. Um, you know, we, we were, we were pretty tied up to, uh, up to the footage we had. Um, I don't know if that really answers Norman's question, but uh, I mean. No, I think it does actually completely. Mm-hmm. This definitely, I think, yeah, for sure. Um, another quick question from listeners. So we had listeners that couldn't make it to Lovecraft for various reasons or couldn't book the streaming weekend. Is there or will there be a place they could watch The Altruist online, whether it... I am, I'm hopeful. I mean, I've, there have been, there have been a, a, a couple of different distribution platforms that have, that have wanted it. Uh, deals fall through um and that happens right now uh we're hoping i'm hoping that bloody disgusting is gonna is gonna take it It, there was some there's some there was something going on with uh, i think they they either bought were bought or uh they either bought or were bought by screenbox so there's a there's a Mm. mashup going on between there and so the contracts are having to be retooled um but eventually it's going to be yeah it'll be online uh, right now, because it's still going through the festival circuit, and like you know, it's playing in right. Australia uh, in a couple of weeks, and they're streaming it, so they can't. They you know, people want to geoblock it off. Yeah, for folks who don't know, if you're kind of playing the festival circuit, um, you can't just throw it up on YouTube or Vimeo for just anyone to watch. It it breaks a lot of rules. <laughs> yeah, and it, it interferes you do that. With, with their their audience too. They want they want to make sure that their audience is is um, on their platform, which makes sense and and makes right. you know good business maybe an alternative question would be um how can people keep up with you your activities your your productions and ideally get a chance to hear about news regarding when your films are available there's uh my website which is matt reed smith r-e-i-d smith uh mattreedsmith.com um that'll have anything new that's up and coming uh there's also the altruist short film uh which is the instagram handle um also the facebook page is the ultra short film uh so both of those those are pretty much since this is the first one that i've done in a while uh those are pretty much the the conduits to any future content that's going to be coming up and also if i can add i just did a casual imdb search you're kind of racking in the rewards with this so well done sir oh thank you very much yeah no <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah yeah British oh, wow. films, best in boston science film festival you know genre blast grim fest yeah the, yeah. 
it was, it was, it's been a, for the, the limited number of festivals that were able to, to run a 35 minute film, I've been very gratified by, by the success it's had. Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. congrats. Yeah, Thank hopefully you. one day we, we see it, like you said, pop up on a Blade Disgusting collection or maybe um, yeah. show up on Shutter, one of my favorite services up there. They do a uh, shorts collection. That'd be cool. Yeah, I've been sure. we've been trying to figure that figure out how to get to get to those guys, but not no no joy so far, but we'll get there. One last question from the audience. Uh, this is uh, apropos because before you joined us, we were talking about some recent and not so recent films that we've enjoyed uh, within the horror genre. And uh, again, Norm from Texas would like to know what are your favorite horror films from the past 10 years? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, and you can just pick one or two. You don't have to be like, I have 20. If you have 20, <laughs> no, we're going no, no, to no. bring you back uh, on next week. But. Well, interesting. So just, just you know, I have kids, so it's it's hard for me to, like, sit down and, like, you know, watch horror films. Uh, uh, just, like, but but I did I did make it through The Lighthouse, and I got to say, that was, I, I enjoyed that immensely. Um, and anybody who hasn't seen it, go out and see it. Whether or not it's simply because of the, the way they shot it or, or or because of the performances or uh, just, like, the sensibility of it, it is, it's a the gorgeous. The performances are just out of this world. It's crazy. It, they're, they're, it's madness. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, they, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Willem Dafoe can rarely do anything bad, but he, uh, both of them were an astonishing pair together. Um, and the, the, the amount of stuff that just the amount of like how, how, the, how they associated with each other and the amount of stuff mm-hmm. that they had to do and go through to get to that point was, is, is pretty remarkable. The film is gorgeous though. Yeah, for sure. That's a good one. Uh, well, Matt, it, it was, um, it's really great having you on. We got to get close to wrapping up the show here. Absolutely. Um, Thank you. What, so what else is in your future? Do you, are you working on another script or another? Yep. Working on another script. Um, strangely, the provider is having a resurgence. So I'm taking it to Nightmares Film Festival um, in Ohio. Um, we'll be doing oh, that. Um, nice. Trying to see whether anybody wants to, you know, I, so if I don't have to, I'm trying to find somebody to, you know, put money up. So I don't have to do it myself for the next one, but that's know, always nice. Yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> Got to find that. Um, but hopefully not too far in the future. We'll be expanding. I would like to expanding into feature world, which would be great. Awesome. Well, nice. we're definitely excited to follow you on all the work you can create in the future and, you know, definitely have you back on when you're starting to shoot stuff again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even in the pre-production or production stage, we'd love to be uh, eyes on the set if you'd allow it. Spoiler-free eyes on the set. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, fantastic, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Let you, you get are... back to your, your lovely partner who per- turned a great performance in and all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Thank, thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this again soon. That'd be great. Sounds, Sounds great. great. Thank you, Matt. Bye. Thank you. Take care. That was a lot of fun. And I almost awkwardly said, sleep well. <laughs> I don't know why my brain, because I said, I, my brain, I went, good night and sleep well, which would have been very weird. I mean, that's yeah. not even something you say in real life. I see it to my, I say it to my wife before bed. I have nice dreams, sleep well, you know, mm-hmm. so that would have been extra weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a fun interview. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's got such an interesting perspective, and I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to like fangirl too hard because that's that can get creepy. But right, I'm yeah. excited to see what other things he brings brings out into the world. As am I. They, I do think that uh, he did 
he conveyed a lot in those two films. I don't think that, yeah, I, uh, I don't think that I even noticed that the altruist was 35 minutes long because it doesn't feel like it's a 30 minute film. No, no, because I mean, like, again, like it's the, like every shot goes for so long, you know, like there's only one, two, I'm going to say there's like four like brackets of the film from beginning to end, but um, including the intro outro bit. And yet like you're so engrossed in it that you, I guess you just don't really notice how much time is really passing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that gets into, and this was a, a topic of conversation of our conversations anyway, as we were talking about things that a lot of these movies and these shorts were, they were either made or broken in the editing of them. Like mm-hmm. we definitely knew when something went on way too long and yeah. this, and like he was saying, he edited it as he shot, like, he used all of the footage there there yeah um because he only had those particular shots to use so that means he was like there are some directors that do that where they're editing as they're shooting the movie to kind of shorten the amount of time so they don't have to be in the editing chair trying to take all this footage and turn it into a thing mm-hmm. um and i think by doing so that that's this is one of the the few films that i, I felt did not waste any of the minutes that it had and it it was very well edited as well as very yeah. well shot there were there were times like i'd come right up to the line of like you've held this shot too long and, and then, then it would move on and it would move on yeah mm-hmm. um yeah. i said like the makeup scene is i think he said it's like seven minutes but it, it does it does get broken up because it's shot from three maybe even four different angles so that's kind of like, kind of like keeps your interest peaked. Uh, maybe, I don't know if it's just because like you keep expecting something's going to be different this time or like maybe something's about to happen because the angle ha- uh, of the shot has changed. But, mm-hmm. uh, but I would not have guessed that that part alone is seven minutes long because mm-hmm. technically speaking, nothing's really happening. Except everything is happening. Except everything, yeah, the yeah. table said, except everything that matters is happening at that moment you know um yeah i'm i'm fascinated and would gladly talk to him more about this whole finding horror in in the realm or addressing the horror that exists in caretaking because that was also a theme of the provider yeah and i and i like that actually his focus doesn't seem to be the exploration of horror within body horror it's the exploration of caretaking and the the lines where love and the loss of dignity cannot collide Mm -hmm. Um, someone once told me that the first thing that death takes is dignity before you ever die the first thing it takes from you is your dignity yeah because you can't do things for yourself you can't even for the most mundane where if you were if you're in an accident or you have a medical condition and they take you to the hospital, the first thing they do is in the most unceremonious fashion, they just cut, cut your on your clothes. They cut your clothes up and throw you on a slab to try and fix you. Mm-hmm. And there's no dignity in that moment. It's so I, uh, I appreciate what he does with that. 
Yeah. Hey, it's not easy also, by the way. It can be gratuitous. It'd be easy to be, make it be gratuitous and exploitive, and then he doesn't do that. No. Um, I, I do think, and I don't know that this was ever a very deep conversation between between us that weekend or um but i i think it was probably all in our minds and that was there were definitely um some of these shorts more than others and i think the altruist definitely takes a look at this where it feels like horror for a world that has been in the same pandemic for nearly two years yeah for sure yeah it, it's it speaks to us more and more because these are particular traumas that used to be isolated to small clusters of our population and now it's a lot more widespread and invasive and you can talk about loss in a way that it's like oh yeah no i experienced that this past year because of this and this and oh okay right yeah a lot of those dark feelings are like much closer to the surface for a lot of more people than is mm-hmm. typically the case. There is a lot of pain and suffering that's just like just barely being like reined in the feelings that you have about about that that pain and suffering. And and you're right, I agree. I think it it shows on a lot of the films that we watched. Um not just that, but like they there's a certain level of banality to it after a point, especially when it keeps mm-hmm. going on and on. It's no longer, you know, like the, the body only can like have that like fear and anxiety response so long before you're just tired and you're kind of done with it. You're like, okay, well, I've been really upset for the last, you know, 90 minutes and now I'm just a little bit bored. Like mm-hmm. your brain can't maintain it. And then you feel bad for not staying at that level of, of yeah. you know, of feeling that way. Well, like yeah. eventually your brain just says like, this is just something I have to do now. I have processed it. I've compartmentalized it. Maybe I'll break down later, but for now I got a job to do. Mm-hmm. This and is just so my life now. Yeah. And, and yeah. the altruist in particular has that sort of vibe of like, Oh, I've got this like weird thing wrong. Maybe I should go to the, you know, like, and then eventually it's been going for a while. Oh, maybe I should have a doctor look at that. And then you just keep not getting to it. You keep not getting to it. Next thing you know, it is controlling your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely stays with you. Yep. Oh, shoot. Uh, we got so wrapped up in the interview that we all completely spaced to give a special shout out to our sponsor, PDX Asylum, Anton and Deb uh, run an amazing, um, you know, furniture, minimalism, modern Portland furniture and accoutrement shop. You can find them at 3713 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard in Portland, Oregon. The easy way to find them is that they are right across from the Baghdad Theater. They are still running on limited hours, so they're open Friday through Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m., you can, however, send them a message. Um, just find them at uh, facebook.com forward slash PDX Asylum. If there are other days you would like to come in and kind of have some private shopping, they will uh, work their best to accommodate you uh, to where you feel safe and, you know, when you want to check out their fine products. Like these butterfly coat hooks I'm looking at right now. I'm 
for as much as I love my over-the-top, grandiose, like, Victorian-era stuff, I also have a weird thing for uh, minimalism and modernism designs. And these butterfly coat hooks look fantastic. Uh, if you're tired of having, like, that giant coat rack that just collects everything except coats, like ours, um, <laughs> then uh, check out these butterfly coat hooks. They also, I'm looking at them, they'd also be a pretty good way where you could hang a few masks also, since that is... Uh, our reality for the foreseeable future. So please uh, check them out. They have all kinds of great home decor or, uh, you know, barn entertaining needs. They're not just furniture. Um, they have all kinds of great products there. They specifically work hard to work with only, uh, you know, companies that don't sell on Amazon. Like they're very committed as a small business to support other small businesses and artisans and craft makers of, you know, various furniture items and uh, home decor products. So, you know what? Uh, show them some love. Check them out. 3713 Southeast Hawthorne Boulevard uh, in uh, in Portland, Oregon. Why is that obvious? Duh. Crossing the Baghdad Theater. Um, and as always, when you go in there, you know, thank Anton and Deb for sponsoring the show. And it's great to have them back. And uh, yeah, say hi. Get some good stuff. Asylum. Facebook.com forward slash PDX Asylum. I, I am glad that Denise, thank you again for reaching out to Matt and arranging this interview because he, yeah, you he made this happen fast too. Yeah. Like we promised folks, it's like just going to the, the fest and, and taking in the films and talking about it was not, it was not just that one show and, and having Gwen on, this is definitely something that's sticking with us for a while. Mm-hmm. Right, and also thanks to Gwen because she actually helped facilitate reaching out to Matt. Mm-hmm. She's been fantastic. A, she is, yes, Gwen and Brian, but Gwen is amazing. Mm-hmm. And speaking from a pure, you know, mercenary marketing stance, um, this also shows Gwen and Brian and the festival that we're not just there to get free tickets. <laughs> Which I know that a lot of lot of places do that. Um, so. I mean, I do like to go places for free. I'm not going to pretend that that's not true. But we're putting the work in. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm still waiting to hear back, but hopefully we will be able to squeeze in one more interview in relation to the HP Lovecraft Film Fest for this year uh, before the month is out. Yeah, it'd be great. In, um, even if it isn't this month, she's I think she's a worthwhile artist yeah. to talk to, so... Well, I kind of feel like once October kicks off, I feel like this show just kind of keeps things spooky through the new year anyway. Mm-hmm. Because it's winter. It's when darkness comes and we huddle around the fire to keep the darkness at bay telling stories. Yeah, because we just transition and, from And, and sipping dark ales and <laughs> spiced wines. Mm-hmm. And telling each other stories that make you afraid of the dark when the night is, when the dark is at its longest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of one of my favorite lines of Hellboy 2, of all things. When the Elf King has that line and said where he basically says, like, you people used to be afraid of the dark. I'm going to remind you why you should be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, side note, Hellboy 2 is a fantastic film that people need to watch. I know that hardcore Hellboy fans don't like it, but I think it's better than the first one. That's the one with the Elf Twins? Yeah. Because it's more Guillermo del Toro, which is why I end up liking it more. It's very Guillermo del Toro. It is. Very, yeah. Um, the the actor that plays the Elf King is also an actor that 
Guillermo likes using wherever he can. Yeah. Um, Luke Goss, I believe is his name. He was also the hybrid, weird hybrid val- um, vampire in Blade 2. Hmm. Which I enjoy more than Blade 1. I went back and watched, when I first saw it, I didn't like it. Which was weird, because even by then, I already liked Guillermo del Toro. So I was like, huh? I think it's because I was expecting an extension of the first Blade. Right. More, more action. And Guillermo wanted to tell a horror movie that happened to have Blade in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once I, once I, the same reason why when I first saw Alien 3, I loathed it. And now it my, it's, it's one of my favorite horror films ever because it's just so nihilistically awful and dark. Mm-hmm. And it is not Aliens 2. Blade 2 is not Blade 2 and what you want. It's a different story that happens to have Blade. See, and I think that's why I, when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, oh, this is exactly what what I wanted. When it did not have a happy ending. Yeah. Well, which is also funny. That is what sold me on that. Right. Which is funny in that it's based on a comic property because the one thing that within comic storytelling, you always want every arc to be like a different theme and tone with characters you love. Blade 2 literally does that. The first time I saw it, I went, eh. Because it was too <laughs> different. years later, I was like, you fucking hypocrite. That's exactly what you always clamor for. So why don't you go rewatch that shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas Blade 3 felt like it was trying to recapture Blade 1. It was. And it was crap. It was very much crap. It had Parker Posey in it, and it was still crap. Right. Aww. It had Jessica Biel being ripped with bare arms. It had oh, yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Bearded oh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds. Yep. It had a young Ryan Reynolds that looked more daddy than modern adult, current time Ryan Reynolds because mm-hmm. there's no he, he had a beard in that one. It was weird. It had a very young Dominic Purcell. It did as Dracula. Oh, I need to rewatch that. That's a lot Blade... of like good stuff I forgot about. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Just FYI. no, it's not. Uh, I think that was the same year that he did that Ryan Reynolds did the Amityville remake because he has the beard in that too, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. That is also not a good movie. It, it's really the reason it's a bad movie is that the studio and Wesley Snipes were fighting. And Natasha Leone is in it. Yeah. And Sorry. that all shows up on screen. Mm. When, when it comes down to it's like, why is Blade a tertiary character in a Blade right. movie? That's when mm. you realize, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, the studio is uh, mad at Wesley Snipes and Wesley Snipes. Listen to Joe on the, in our in our commentary. Said Blade Three had a good cast, terrible everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely true. I mean, it brought back Chris Christopherson, mm-hmm. who's one of my favorite grizzled old mans on film ever. He's just good at what's your cat? What's your character? Grizzled old man. Okay, huh. mm-hmm. but without all of the Clint Eastwood, you know, racism. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Well, what are we doing next week? Do we know? I know we have that, a potentially tentative interview. Uh I think that's the only thing. Which that that's it. Uh I we we also may have a little bit of a haunter haunting review. If we all end up going to the one thing. Yes, that's Sunday, correct? Yes. Sunday. Uh, Sunday, I, Sunday. I'm sorry. That's right. I'm sorry. 
really you're apologizing to cable and i for using that mm-hmm. that <laughs> you it, know let's it, do that it wasn't let's, necessary <laughs> let's do that because i've never gone to this place and i've heard about it for years and i've never gone so all right i i, I went uh pre-pandemic no i've never gone so yeah we'll have a little haunting review um i'm sure there'll be other stuff there are haunts open in portland so it i've and from what i hear at least three of them are all taking as many precautions as they can so if you feel comfortable enough and it's been too long since you've been at a haunt there's some out there look them up um yep and then we haven't said this publicly yet but i think we can say this now mm-hmm. um we will not have a live show the last week in october because that Sunday before the live show, myself, Cable, and Denise will be in my living room ahead of time recording what was going to be an incredibly wanky commentary of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard what was going to be. No, it is going to be. <laughs> I'm like, wait, be. are we changing the plan? No, you've missed it. We already recorded it. Timey wimey stuff. So, yeah, myself, oh. Denise, and Cable will be doing a commentary on Francis Ford Coppola's. Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I'm saying already right now, is a masterpiece. Flawed as fuck, but a masterpiece. Yeah. So, and I'm also saying right now, get ready to hear me cry on tape. That's going to happen. <laughs> I will Cable have, might get moderately I'm gonna, I might need to have up. a couple of drinks before we start this. Well, we're going to have wine. Duh. Why might I get choked up? You have a you have some emotions. Denise has none. No. No, I'm a Vulcan. Yeah. Mm. I, however, am just constant tears, constant. And you're just a walking sack of emotions. How dare you? Also, this is true. So yeah, you guys can look forward to that. For the end of the month so that will be our uh that'll be our that'll be our um terror and our chair in the chat just dropped in Ooh, dracula <laughs> <laughs> so probably we'll think of something great by this time next week um but if not then you always have our dracula to look forward to that's mm-hmm. true you always have us to fawn over tom waits as redfield one of the greatest performances <laughs> in cinema ever. it's a good one <laughs> yeah well, once again, a huge shout out to uh, Matt Smith speaking with us about the altruist and his filmmaking process. It was a great interview. I think one of our best filmmaker interviews ever on the show, period. Yeah, wow, I really, a bold statement. I really enjoyed it. I thought his insight into filmmaking and story was uh, was quite strong. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So with that, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Benarito. And I'm Cable Hushitani. And we will expect... We will speak to everybody next week. Stay spooky. Ooh.